Blog Talk Radio. They waited for us finally to arrive and showed us to fight to stay alive. The ancestors put power in me and gave me the voice to tell my story. My spirit calls out, my spirit calls out, my spirit calls out to thee, my spirit
Good evening, Hunter Chillin. Glad that Hunter tune in. This year, Middle Passage Month. One more again, Tagalogichi Rhythm Radio. This year, the We Show, where we the gee uplifting to the living legacy and the pay ancestral homage. So this year, even, we the use my spirit call out from when I have a shout sometimes, Queen Credit and the Gullah Connection. In honor of we ancestors, where we make them through the Middle Passage. But it ain't been a no easy time. During this year time, they call it the suck it trade, or transatlantic slave trade. This year, crime gets humanity. That we remember all throughout September, and we want hunter children. So yet it is year, this evening, as we do, memories of the Middle Passage. Lest we forget. We can never forget who we be down here from these islands in the sea, from Jacksonville, North Carolina. To Jacksonville, Florida, to Southern Ireland, where about 40% all African enslaved in North America become true. After this year, landing crossing. After this year, kind true, what we the yet about, called the Middle Passage. Hunter Chilla, never forget. Never forget. Never forget. As it contracted from the shock of her children being taken to the auction block, they stood him there and ripped off his pants. They told him lift his penis. They wanted him to dance. He stood his ground and never moved. So they busted his head and left him for dead. They stood me there. In that same spot where the blood was still warm and the energy filled me and raged like a storm. I wept not as I stood there bare, my entire body exposed to the world. I stood there and cursed them for their poisonous heart. I stood and listened to the sound in the distance. I remember the sound. I remember the sound. I saw the bonds broken and formed in midair as people were hurdled like cattle and sold to the highest bidder. They handed out children as if they were a cat's litter. These who thought they had so much power did not feel the energy all around. Somewhere in the distance, I remember the sound. I remember the sound. Must large number of men, but the women and children were far the most numerous. They were fastened together in couples by the wrists and the legs and kept in that situation day and night. Here, Gravong and another of the Africans named Kimbo lay down upon the floor to show the painful position in which they had to sleep. The day was no better. The space between decks was so small, according to their account, not exceeding four feet. They that were obliged 
if they attempted to stand to keep a crouching posture. The deck, fore and aft, were crowded to overflowing. They suffered. They had rice enough to eat but had very little to drink. If they left any of that rice that was given to them uneaten, either from sickness or any other cause, they were whipped. It was a common thing for them to be forced to eat so much as to vomit. Many of the men, women, and children died on the passage. Now, this is one account from an interview from 1839 from a group that was kidnapped and brought across the Middle Passage, the Atlantic Ocean, from West Africa, heading toward Havana, Cuba, one of the many ports of entry that have resulted in being the places and spaces of the African diaspora around the world. These men, Grabong, Sinke, and Kimbo, recounted their stories. These stories have become compiled pieces that are within various archives, these compiled stories and recountings from African people who were kidnapped, who survived the Middle Passage, and who someone thought was worthy of listening to in order to document their story, gives us just a minor reflection of the horrific conditions that were what they endured aboard the enslavement vessels that we talked about two weeks ago on this broadcast. And for those who are not aware, this is Queen Quet, chiefess and head of state for the Gullah Geechee Nation, and the founder of the Gullah Geechee Sea Island Coalition. And I'm reading from Slave Testimony, Two Centuries of Letters, Speeches, Interviews, and Autobiographies, edited by John W. Blassingame. And this book, has been part of the only archive in the world totally dedicated to Gullah Geechee history, heritage, and culture, the Gullah Geechee Al-Kibulan Archive, which is on St. Helena Island, South Carolina, here in the Gullah Geechee Nation. And within the archive, this book is amongst many different examples of documentation of what was used during the transatlantic slave trade that brought African people through the Maafa, brought them through hardship, turmoil, brutality, beatings, rapings, dysentery, vomiting, piss, feces, as water churned, as they were knocked to and fro when they encountered a storm that would suddenly come up. 1800s, 1600s, 1700s, 1800s. There are no devices like many of you have seen on Gullah Geechee TV when you see me go out on shrimp boats today. No devices to say where the bottom is so that you don't run up on a sand barge. There's no devices to tell you, well, the weather channel is broadcasting anything because there is no weather channel. There is nothing but you, the water, and prayer if you have any God in you. 
that you make it across. And this is for those doing the enslaving and those being enslaved. And now, here it is that I want to share from another point in this same publication that documents some of the things that took on, that were taken on as part of a process that became a global trade that then ended in black gold, black cargo, many times ending up here in these sea islands and in particular at Sullivan's Island where there were pest houses or pestilence houses, the place of my installment, the place in which people were kept for a few days or a few months. And if you were African, the length of time there not only depended on physical illness, but on your strength and your will. So as you heard in My Spirit Calls Out, as myself and Anne Favela, the Gullah Connection, presented it, there were beatings and there were killings because you weren't seasoned enough looking into the eyes of those who stripped you bare and wanted you soul or wanted you to put on a show for you to be up for auction after having come through the Middle Passage, where, as this account says, there I remained under his command and that of Colonel Nichols for about six or seven years when the place was given up and I went to Ascension. After remaining there about six weeks, I was taken back to Sierra Leone when I recommenced the cultivation of my land with the help of another man from Cameroon who took care of the land while I went to trade. I went to the Mandingo country three days sail from Sierra Leone in a large canoe carrying iron bars, muskets, tobacco, beads, powder, etc., to exchange for gold, rice, cattle, etc. At Fongi, I found two Sierra Leonean boys who had been stolen and sold to the Mandingos. On my return, I informed the governor, and several attempts were made to rescue them, but without effect. After this, I went to trade in fee country, fi country, the Galinas, King Siaka's town. One day I crossed over from Siaka's town to trade to Divia, where I was seized by some of the people belonging to Pedro Blanco's slave barracoon. I fought hard, but was disabled by a severe cut across my right hand and was carried to his agent, who said I was English and a spy. I was kept chained by the neck with five others till the arrival of the Spanish sailor. When we were taken on board, the vessel never anchoring and immediately sailed. Havana. The number of slaves shipped was 341 men, women, and children. All cried very much at going away from their home and friends, some of them saying they would kill themselves after being three weeks at sea. Some of the men proposed to rise and kill the captain and take the ship back to Africa. I told them that they did not understand Sailor Pablaire, and if they took the vessel, big wind would come and she would capsize and that all of us would die. After one month, we arrived at Cuba and being chased by an English man of war, ran into Pine Key near Santiago de Cuba, where all the slaves were landed. After two days, a steamer came and took us to a place close to Havana where we were placed in a barracoon and sold as purchases offered for us. I was carried away a day's sail in a steamer to a sugar estate, but my hand was so bad that I could not work. 
So I was sent back to Havana and placed in Pedro Blanco's yard. I told Pedro Blanco that I was not a slave but was trading when they stole me away. He said that the English were picarons, rogues, and had taken two vessels from him. I said that if they did, they did not give the money to me, and why should he sell me? An American bought me, but finding I could do nothing with my bad hand, after a little while he took me back to Pedro Blanco again, who put me in care of some horses. I was shortly afterwards sold to Don Jose, a hat maker, who worked me plenty and fed me very badly. The daily allowance of food for the slaves was ten plantains and about a half a pound of boiled beef. The hours of labor are from four in the morning till seven in the evening with an interval from nine till ten in the morning for breakfast and from noon till two o'clock in the afternoon, during which two hours were not allowed to earn what we could by carrying away rubbish and doing other odd jobs for the townspeople. On Sundays, the slaves are not employed after noon. At eight o'clock in the evening, we're all locked up in a large room, but without bed, blanket, or bedding of any kind. If a slave is not in, when it's time to be locked up, he's flogged on the following day. The overseer sleeps in the next room, and anyone speaks or makes a disturbance, he comes in and punishes him. Many slaves are hired out by their masters. They receive three-quarters of a dollar a day, and at the end of the week return three dollars to their master, leaving a quarter of a dollar a day for their own subsistence, etc. If they fail to return the three dollars, they are flogged and put in the stocks for it is considered a great offense. I have known slaves who did not make up their money, sometimes having spent it in drink, flogged for several days running, till their backs were quite peeled. Some masters in Havana made the female slaves prostitute themselves for hire. There are large buildings in which hundreds of women are found on Sundays, the time of the slaves' holiday, and where there is plenty of singing and dancing to draw the people to come there. Part of the hire of these women goes to the keepers of these places, part to the masters, and the remainder, if any, they have for themselves. Now here it is, that when we think of drink, revelry, places now where women are prostituting themselves, but music is playing so that people will come in and spend money, but the money really goes to the institution and the person running it, and if there's any left, they are to survive off of it, no doubt themselves trying to survive by cleansing their minds, by, again, drinking, by smoking, by shooting something up their arm. Does this not parallel some of the results of this story of the Middle Passage that we are seeing played out in person, that we are seeing played out in music videos, that we are seeing played out on television today? 2014. All of this time after this interview account from 1843, the interview of a person at that point who was 35 years old who had been born in 1808 named William Thomas. The interesting thing about William Thomas's account of being enslaved in Cuba in 1808 is that 1808 was also the year in which the British outlawed the transatlantic slave trade component of their operation. It was now to be illegal for them to continue that aspect of operation. The U.S. was supposed to also 
have been participating in it, but they didn't participate in the outlawing of domestic enslavement. So just as we talk about here in Havana, these houses of ill repute, as people would call them over here, here it is that houses of ill repute or or the bottoms or any of such places where children were then bred, those became the domesticated enslaved African people from which many people of African descent in North America descend. We are the living result of the transatlantic slave trade. We are actually the survival examples. We are the monument to the strength of those that could survive and endure this kind of horrific outcome to their life. And as you heard within the opening about the trade, about the kidnapping that had been going on in one of the countries that many people have heard is directly connected to the Gullah Geechee Nation, Sierra Leone, Salon. Where Hunter Chilling conciliated people of cracking teeth like Arisha, but over yonder, then they call them Creole. And so we have a connection with Sierra Leone because many Gullah Geechees repatriated from the Gullah Geechee Nation during the War of 1812 ended up in Canada, then ended up settling Freetown in Sierra Leone. Also, they ended up being those who settled Liberia, and many people left from Charleston, South Carolina, went back to Africa from there instead of just those coming this way, and became the leaders, the spiritual leaders with setting up of churches as well as political leaders there. So we have a blood kinship with these places, not just historic statements, but a true blood kinship with these places. But we are also related to Angolans, Nigerians, Ghanaians. We are not only connected to Sierra Leone. We are connected to Senegal, to Gambia, to all of these areas of the Western Seaboard, as well as to Madagascar. So please do not continue to perpetuate misinformation when you talk about the roots of Gullah Geechee culture. Please make sure you tell it accurately. All Gullah Geechees did not come from Sierra Leone. Some came from there, and some came through this brutality of the process that we just read took place where someone is out trading, they're captured. Someone is out, children are out playing, they're captured. Women are out going to the fields, going to the market, they're captured. They're then put in bondage, chained. They're force-fed, they're starved. Whichever process they feel will work, they're beaten, they're brutalized, they're seasoned and they're told to be recreated into a name called slave. But them it mean them for evil. God mean them for good. And so here it is that we have a number of accounts where people didn't even want to go to Liberia, Sierra Leone, because they were fearful that their ship was going to get captured in that area. So some would rather go to Lagos, Nigeria. And hence why we have the Igbo and Yoruba connections within our Gullah Geechee traditions and culture and language. And so here it is that we have the resulting factors of so many people, yet 
being concerned about being near water in the, quote, black community at large in the United States. Many people don't swim, especially not in the Atlantic Ocean. They may learn in a pool, but they definitely don't want you to have them go out into the Atlantic Ocean to try to swim. And many don't understand it, but I do, because the ancestral spirits are there, and the collective consciousness causes them to feel it. Their collective consciousness, no doubt, reconnects with that of their ancestors who got kidnapped along the coast. I've always recalled how our elders would keep such a close eye on any of the children as they approach water. And when I say the children, I ain't just talking about when you're two or you're five or you're ten. So when you become a teenager, when you're 25 years old, and they're telling you don't even go in the water any further than you'll need because they're concerned, because they're thinking of the drowning. They're thinking of the water taking you back, the water to bring me what are going to take me back. And so, here we also read within this that in her country they make slaves in war. The white men buy all their slaves and the chiefs then make more war for more slaves. Do not think it is so bad for black men to have slaves as it is for white men. Black men, no hisu, white men, all religion, is what it says here. And I can overstand this account where this person makes this statement because as people entered in, and this person was interviewed in 1854 in England, we have 18 different people that were interviewed because each and every time these people attempted to come in and tell these folks that this was their rightful place that God had destined it that they were to be enslaved. And you had world religions participating in this, not just Christians. And people like to often refer to Christianity, but it was not just Christians that participated in the transatlantic slave trade. And so here it is that unto this moment, many people have not ever endeavored to look at Many of the images we've been showing all month on the Gullah Geechee Nation Facebook fan page about the Middle Passage, they can't bring themselves to watch the videos because they feel it's too intense to actually look at what happened. However, if one didn't know where one did from, one ain't quite know where one did And so when we can parallel houses of ill repute that women were forced into without their own volition to those that women are going into now saying that they're doing it because they're independent, wherein really you're just, again, a slave to an industry, then there's something that we need to look at because there's more pain being projected than any of the painful images that's in the Middle Passage when we think of the parallels of what is now being done because the mind has become bound because when you give yourself the falsehood that you are free and independent, when you're actually marching yourself into shackles, spiritual shackles, there is a long-lasting problem that does a disrespect 
to our ancestors who fought to survive and fought back from being enslaved. And so here it is that we take this time each September to not just want to pour libations so that others come and look at that and see it ceremonially like last Friday at Penn Center during the opening of the Slave Artifacts Exhibition, Sankofa Slave Artifacts Exhibition, which will run until October 3rd. But we don't want people just coming and standing up and thinking this is something for entertainment purposes. This is something to Africanize a particular event. No, this is a tradition, and this is a spiritual connection of cleansing, of healing, of protecting us from the energy still yet held within the shackles such that if people touch them, that they don't have to be pulled back or pulled into something spiritually and then think mentally that there's a way to justify going into bondage or returning unto bondage. So this is why I pulled these different materials from the Gullah Geechee Aoke Bulan archive, because I thought it was critical for us to not only share once again from the archive, but also for people to recognize through the very words of those who lived through this chattel enslavement, this transatlantic slave trade that made it through the Middle Passage to tell their story, those who had participated in the selling of human beings, in the crime against humanity that documented the work as they considered it, the business as they considered it, the industry as they considered it, that they were in. And those of us who are literate and are concerned about reading documents, what it is that we've had to endure to research these things, to present it to the world. And we've had to endure so that our ancestors are not forgotten. So that we've had to endure so that people don't come to just these sea islands seeking to lay out on the beach on the very shores where our ancestors' bones and blood, sweat and tears goes through and pulsates every piece of sand on this land. We've had to endure the pain. I remember each and every time that I read a book read a document in an archive or in a bookstore or in someone's yard sale, picked it up, read of tragedy against my people, but then had to endure it, get my chin up, wipe my tears off, purchase it, photocopy it, and bring it back. They stole it. You must return it. So that it is here so that the generations that continue to think that everything now is about entertainment, that they would have a place to come to to learn that our ancestors were bought and sold and forced to entertain others, forced to be used by others, not that they did it willingly and justified that I'm doing it because I'm free to do it. As my elders always taught me, honor free tell honor fool. So we do them a disservice if we don't remember and if we don't teach our children from whence they came. Teach them the strength of people getting out of that bondage and being upstanding community members, fighting to hold on to their tradition and their culture, their spirituality, their God, and to be able to pray for you who they would never see. 
Now, I want to go into another book, which is called The Slave Trade by Hugh Thomas, that I've had for many years and bought actually out of the country, not in the U.S. I bought this book. And so I want to share a passage from this to bring some further enlightenment on some of the process and who is engaged in this process. I once walked around the still elegant streets of Walsh's Nantes, many of which survived the Allied bombardment of 1944 and recalled how the one-time slave-trading residents of the mansions of Ile Fiu in the 1780s sent their dirty linen to be laundered in Saint-Domingue, which is Haiti, where the mountain streams were said to wash whiter than any in Brittany. David Hancock, in a fine recent book, named his central figure Richard Oswald, quote, a citizen of the world, end quote, as well he might be called for. He had property in Scotland, London, Florida, Jamaica, and Virginia, as well as a share in Brent's Island or Sierra Leone, which he used as a depot for slaves. He and his partners built a golf course there for the benefit of waiting captains and others on which the caddies were slaves in kilts because of his knowledge of America. Oswald was one of the negotiators of the Peace of Paris in 1783, along with, on the United States side, all business associates such as Benjamin Franklin and, above all, Henry Lawrence of Charleston, South Carolina. The latter also, in his early life, a large-scale slave trader to whom Oswald had often carried black slaves. How curious it is to imagine the two of them there in Paris, in the Rue Jacob, by the corner of Rue des Saint-Pierre's, rich men by virtue, among other things to be sure, of innumerable slave transactions linking Europe, Africa, and America, and negotiating the liberty of North America. This is what liberty was for North America, the liberty to take liberties with other human lives. Now, what's critical as well in this piece is not only giving you the interrelationships, the global interactions, but also the very specific point about Sierra Leone once again and Bunce Island, and that being the first golf course ever in Africa. There, they enslaved Africans. Here in the Gullah Geechee Nation, again, African people have been enslaved and displaced and brutalized by golf courses. Yes, there's some Gullah Geechees today that now play golf because they see it, oh, what's wrong? It's a sport. But they don't necessarily know the history of its creation and where it started and where our ancestors were walking around and killed, serving the people who were selling the rest of them that would never again see the motherland, that were bringing them in, that were brokering deals on this course. And then when they get here, they complete the trade of their black gold, of their black cargo, as they saw. They make money on black gold. They make money on Carolina gold. And they keep their riches flowing in a global stream. And here it is that these men's names, these guys' names, are not ever mentioned in history class in South Carolina. 
I doubt they're mentioned in Georgia, Florida, North Carolina. I studied history in the public school system in South Carolina and never heard Henry Lawrence or any of these men's names told to us. We heard of Benjamin Franklin, oh yes. But did we discuss anything about his relationship to those who were in the business of selling human cargo? Of course not. Did we ever read anything about Oswald? Did we hear anything about Africa other than there were slaves brought from Africa, which is incorrect? African people were kidnapped and then enslaved, transported through the Middle Passage for someone else's financial gain. They were exploited. And to this day, we can parallel a number of industries. We can parallel the operations of those in the insurance business. And we can draw back to the creation of banks in the American financing system and how the true investment in it was black gold. Black gold. And so when we sit back, we need to listen to these kinds of words as painful as it may be to hear. But I want to read another piece to you, and this is often the introduction of the book, mind you. This is not well into any chapters. This is the introduction of the book, page 11. Quote, But any commercial undertaking involving the carriage of millions of people, stretching over several hundred years, involving every maritime European nation, every Atlantic-facing African people and some others, and every country of the Americas is a planet of its own, always with room for new observations, reflections, evidence, and judgments. Further, it was the slave merchants themselves sitting in their fine counting houses in London or Lisbon, men who often never saw slaves but profited from their sale, who interested me, and those had been rather ignored in the controversies over the exact number of slaves carried and the percentage of profit. The slave trade was, of course, an iniquity. All the same, the study can offer something for almost everyone. If one is interested in international morality, one can ask how it was that in the 17th century, several northern European countries hesitated so little before abating a revival on a large scale of an institution which had nearly been abandoned in the region of the year 1100, and sometimes as in England with something like abolitionist tones and archbishop statements against the practice, quote, we were a people who did not trade in such commodities, and quote, proudly said Richard Jokelson, an English trader, when offered slaves by an Arab trader on the river Senegal in 1618, but at much the same time, Sir Robert Rich, whose portrait by Van Dyke hangs in the Metropolitan Museum in New York, was securing a license to take such captives to his new plantation in Virginia. If one is concerned about economic history, one can ask whether there is anything in the idea of Dr. Eric Williams that the Industrial Revolution in England was financed by profits from Liverpool slave traders. End quote. I've been to Liverpool, England. You may be able to still find on the Internet with some searching 
a document that I wrote about that journey to Liverpool, England, and seeing the vessels that were there at the port at that time where they had the Maritime Museum and they had a slavery museum, as they called it, uh, inside of the Maritime Museum complex. And since then, I had an opportunity to be the first Gullah Geechee, the first woman, the first black woman, um, to speak when they actually opened the International Slavery Museum at that location. And I remember my first journey there, how the wind blew against me, how I literally had to fight, grind my feet in on cobblestone as this wind was blowing me backwards. I had to get alongside of a wall and literally lay against it like you see people in the old black and white spy movies up against the wall to scale my way into this building. And just the feel of that wind, I felt like, what did my ancestors feel as they were forced to work at this dock to load ships built in this town that would now go over and cross over and take people in a whole nother continent to yet another continent. This wind, is it them blowing me back to say don't go in there? Or is this what I have to endure in order to get to the truth? And trust me, I endured that when I fought back. I scaled the cobblestone. I made it inside. And when I got inside, I was greeted in a horrific manner. I was not told hello or good afternoon. I was looked at as if to say, what are you doing outside the exhibit? What are you doing outside your chains? How dare you come in from outside? Why are you here? So I had to ask, is this or is this not where the, quote, slavery exhibit exists? And yes, it's downstairs was the response with a finger pointing to send me down. And I went down and through a dark chamber with only lights flickering on the wall. I doubled back, and many have heard me say this. I had a recording device with me, an audio recording device. There were no cell phones at this time, y'all. No cell phones. There weren't pages. There weren't any of this. So I could have simply disappeared there. I was the only black person, the only African person I had seen all day was myself if I looked in a mirror when I journeyed from London to Liverpool, three hours ride, and now had to fight my way up this cobblestone and now was being told to go on down there. And I'm going into the darkness, and I'm hearing creaking sounds. I doubled back, I turned on the recording device because I said, well, whatever happens next, hopefully this tape recorder, someone will find it and someone will know that something happened to me. My ancestors didn't have such luxury. They, many of them, never had the luxury of having their story even told or recorded from them, from their lips. As I proceeded on, I continued toward the light little flickers of light, and I next thing I knew, I was seeing heads and feet popping out, and I had now entered the hull of an enslavement vessel that they had designed with the human beings chained together as models so that you could see what had taken place during the Middle Passage. As I got closer and closer to the end, I 
started hearing something. Started hearing singing. And slowly my soul started singing. And then eventually my mouth started singing. Because what I was hearing was my ancestors. What I was hearing was my elders. Why have been a Yeti, been a Nisha, chilling from the sea and things like that in a cracky teetsu. And I've been a grind. True, 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 true. And it started getting light, light, light. No more darkness. I ended up in a regular museum type room now with kiosks and things that you could touch and lift and answer questions, trivia and, and, and miniatures and things of what had happened. And the music got louder. And that's when I realized it hadn't been radiating from, the soul, from my soul and from my mind as I first thought. But there were recordings of Gullah Geechee singing spirituals in this institution. And that kept me. That strengthened me. That told me I was supposed to be on this journey to tell our story, to make sure that this generation of people does not forget the Middle Passage, does not forget the Marfa, does not forget our African Holocaust called the transatlantic slave trade. That we must always tell the stories of our ancestors because it was recorded, but recorded in our collective consciousness, recorded in our DNA, and it is these painful reminders that we must now read, that we must now see, that we must now reenact that becomes the videos and the DVDs and the documentaries, that the dramatic films, the plays, the productions that bring forth this side of the story. We were never just entertainers. We were never prostitutes and people to be exploited. We are Africans. And we be Gullah Geechee, anointed black gold. The richness that was kidnapped, that was captured, that was placed in the belly of the beast, in the hull of these enslavement vessels. So I pray that my voice is not being just heard in 2014, but that maybe this is 2114 and someone has now found this digital copy of Gullah Geechee Rhythm Radio. That it has somehow survived time, that it's been in an iCloud somewhere and someone could still download it, and that they could hear what we commemorated, what we remembered, what our ancestors went through and why there are African people in North America, why there are African people in Brazil, why there are African people in Havana, Cuba, because we are all part of the African diaspora created by this crime against humanity called the transatlantic slave trade that brought us across the water. But as we know, the water to bring we, the water going to take we back. And so the water came to me many times when I've traveled around the world. When I wasn't near water, my soul cried out to get near it, and I ended up finding whatever body of water there was to walk alongside of lakes, rivers, streams, just to be near the water. So I know what it is to hear, to feel, to sense not only the pain of being on the Atlantic Ocean and in that water, but also the peace, the serenity, and the cleansing like that of the baptism when Gullah Geechee Sea Islanders get near water. 
and we breathe it in, and we breathe out right to the spirit that calls us to plant our feet deeply in the sand and make this strange place our own land and live each day taking a stand, ever reaching to touch the Creator's hand. So as tonight, once again, I yet reach higher and higher to touch the Creator's hand, I realize that I also reach backwards and I'm touching the hands, the spirits, the souls of my ancestors, who be Gullah Geechee. And I pray that each and every one of their souls rest peacefully as I dedicate this program to them tonight, that are buried in the various Gullah Geechee graveyards along the shoreline of the Sea Islands from Jacksonville, North Carolina to Jacksonville, Florida, who we've paid homage to and tributes throughout this month. This month is only midway through, and we will continue to honor you, honor your strength, honor your legacy, honor your faith in this crossing that we have yet shared only a portion of the, the energy of what you had to go through, the illustration of what you had to endure, what you had to suffer. And so... Thank you for that confirmation. Y'all may not have heard it, but thunder just rolled here. And so, as many of you view Gullah Geechee TV this week, and you see the very short piece that I did on the libation ceremony and the opening of the Sankofa slave exhibit here on St. Helena Island at the York W. Bailey Museum at the Penn Center, and as I mentioned earlier, it'll be there until October 3rd, please, Please take the time, if you do nothing else after viewing that, if you only view just the libation segment and you don't get into the lecture later about the weeping time and the other things, if you stop right after the libation portion, please pour a libation, lay some flowers, leave some tribute to your ancestors that survived because you are the monument of their strength. And don't do the family shame. Stand up, take pride in who you are, because we can't leave the final outcome of the Middle Passage being a bunch of enslaved people who run around here saying they're free. That would be like the emperor's new clothes, and all of us decide to wear that. And if you don't know what I'm referring to, look up the children's book, The Emperor's New Clothes. So we have to honor our elders and our ancestors by doing things that are respectful for ourselves, for our future generations, for the Lee Churn, and make sure your children understand what happened to our ancestors. You do them a disservice when they don't know this part of our story. So I pray that you will continue to view the Gullah Geechee Nation Facebook fan page as we continue to share pieces, maps, various things, books, videos you should purchase throughout this month. You can also continue to follow us at Gullah Geechee. On Twitter, that's G-U-L-L-A-H-G-E-E-C-H-E-E. And also keep up with our blog at GullahGeecheeNation.com, for the various postings that are going on there, the various blogs that you will see coming up there. And I am about to head to the second largest Charleston that I read about tonight. Charleston, South Carolina was the number one enslavement auction block in North America the second largest enslavement auction block in North America is Wall Street and the East River in New York. And I'm heading there in the next few days. 
and will honor our ancestors with libation there this Middle Passage Month as well. And Charleston and New York had a great deal of history together in the brokering of human bodies. And so there is a connection. There is a historic connection still for our people and souls that yet lie unrested in many cases at the African burial ground. I feel there's a lot of turmoil that still is going on because people haven't truly given the due respect that we need to to all of these bodies yet laying in the Atlantic Ocean. And so as I proceed to the New York Tri-State area, I will also be making a stop at the United Nations for indigenous people fighting still yet for our recognition and working with other indigenous people of the world to protect us from going underwater literally with the climate change issues, the sea level rise issues, and I was invited today to participate in another national conference on the same matter in a couple of months as well. So the journey will continue with the Gullah Geechee Land and Legacy World Tour, as I'll also be going back to England this year, again, paying homage to those who had to endure that came from that side, those who were forced to work at those ports in Liverpool and London and places to build the ships and then to work there to offload the indigo and the cotton and the Carolina gold rice when it returned to the country. It's a triangular trade. Take the Africans out and bring back the commodity that they were and literally were enslaved in. And I will be looking forward, actually, in the midst of all of this and this spiritual journey to meeting and greeting each and every one that's going to meet me at the Jersey Shore in Spring Lake, New Jersey. Six o'clock is the VIP reception, 6.30, things open to the public on Thursday, September the 25th at the Charleston Shops. And then on Saturday, September the 27th, 3 o'clock to 7 p.m. at Adriala Gallery in Brooklyn, New York, 57 Putnam Avenue, 4 to water to bring we an afternoon of Gullah Geechee at Adriala Gallery. I will have the blessed opportunity to be in the same place and in the same space with someone who I greatly appreciate on this journey in my life, Brian Strongwin Williams, who is his eyes have captured the imagery that we will bring to life with my voice and physical body as God directs. And so please make sure to email the Gullah Geechee Sea Island Coalition to G-U-L-L-G-E-E-C-O at AOL.com, Gullgeeko at AOL.com for more details for either one of those events. If you want to attend, they are fundraisers for the Gullah Geechee Land and Legacy Fund and the Gullah Geechee Aoke Bulan Archive. And you can also call Adriala Gallery, 646-208-8214, 646-208-8214. You can go to GullahGeecheeNation.com and you will see the various blogs. Of, again, if you follow at Gullah Geechee on Twitter or Instagram, and you also follow the Gullah Geechee Nation blog or Gullah Geechee Nation on Facebook, you will be able to see all of the events listed on the Facebook fan page, The Water to Bring We. My event also in Spring Lake, New Jersey, where I'm going to be honored there at the Charleston Shop, and I greatly appreciate them for doing that. These things are coming up this month, and these are still tied to our honoring 
our ancestors this Middle Passage Month. And so, as you know, I often say, and always say, on a must take care of the root for heal the tree, and I want to thank my family on John's Island. We had a wonderful time Saturday at Sea Island Cultural Day, and we also are continuing this journey up the coastline, and we will honor our ancestors this weekend out in Brackettville, Texas, the Seminoles, because Seminole Day weekend is this weekend coming up. And so much love to everyone out there that's part of the Gullah Geechee diaspora, which is another diaspora of the African diaspora. But most of all, tanky tanky to Hunter Chillin, who the Yeti we every week punish your program and thing like that and the support we at gullagichi.net because without you there'd be no Gullagichi Al Kibulan archive, there'd be no Gullagichi Sea Island Coalition and there would be no voice continuing to advocate for the accurate telling of the Gullagichi our story. And so God has given me a charge to keep and a charge to keep I have and I thank all of you who stand with me truthfully and honestly, holding up the Gullah Geechee legacy. Peace bless. Thank you, thank you. This year the queen quit. Head upon the body of the Gullah Geechee Nation. Glad you're going to tune in to Gullah Geechee Rhythm Radio Station. <laughs> 